Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Saturday. I'm your host, John Good, and this is going to be your Threat Intel Briefing for October 16th, 2022 through October 22nd, 2022. If you're joining us on YouTube, we are live for this stream. Make sure to leave us a comment, a like, and also subscribe. In the comment section, make sure that uh, if you want to see other kind of content on the channel, so it doesn't have to be just related to this show, but any kind of content or if there's anything that you would like to see to make the show better, definitely let me know. And then also, uh, if you're listening on podcasting platform, because we are available on all the podcasting platforms, so the Spotify, the iTunes, all that stuff and more, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Same thing. Let us know if you enjoy it, things you'd like to hear or uh, talk about, and then we can definitely take those and uh, try to incorporate those. Also, check out the description for the show notes because there will be a link to my website where I put all the articles up. So if you want to look a little bit deeper into the articles that we talk about, or if you want to look at some of the other articles, because I do include other articles that you might consider looking at as well, then those will be on there also. Uh, let's see here. Without uh, any more delay, uh, that's all the opening that I have. So we're going to just jump into the articles here. So uh, first article, how Wi-Fi spy drones snooped on financial firm. Modified off-the-shelf drones have been carrying around wireless network intrusion kit uh, in, unlike, in a very unlikely place. The idea of using consumer-oriented drones for hacking has been explored over the past decade at security conferences like Black Hat 2016 in both the U.S. and in Europe. Now these sorts of attacks are actually taking place. Greg Linares, a security researcher, recently encountered an incident that he said occurred over the summer at a U.S. East Coast financial firm focused on private investment. He told the register that he was not involved directly with the investigation, but interact with, interacted with those involved as part of his work in the finance sector. Company security team responded and found that the user whose MAC address was used to gain partial access to the company Wi-Fi network was also logged in at home several miles away. That is to say, the user was active off-site, but someone within Wi-Fi range of the building was trying to wirelessly use that user's MAC address, which is a red flag. The team then took steps to trace the Wi-Fi signal and used a fluke system to identify the Wi-Fi device. So, yeah, if you haven't seen this in the industry or you're new to the industry in the last couple of years, um, there has been this idea of using drones or utilizing drones in some way to gain access, right? So you take a drone and instead of physically having to walk into a building, for example, you can put a Wi-Fi chip, a Raspberry Pi or something on there, right? That has Wi-Fi connectivity, put it on that drone, you fly the drone, you land it on top of the building. Done, right? Easy. Nobody's probably gonna know that you have a drone up there. So this is a very real thing. And you know, when this first kind of came out, drones were kind of evolving in that time and they're still continuing to evolve. But, um, you know, it's, they're definitely a lot better than they were now. And this idea is definitely more evolved than it was when it was first released. And uh, there should be actually um, some Black Hat 
presentations for this uh, from 2016, where this was first talked about, and then there was um, some demos and things, and you know, very cool. So I would definitely go back and check that out if you haven't seen that. But again, this idea is very real, right? With the you know the expansion of Wi-Fi devices and how you can be a little bit further away and you don't have to physically walk in that building. I mean, that's scary, right? So how do you protect that, right? Then it becomes a physical issue. You have to make sure that, you know, maybe you have cameras or something on top of your building so that you can watch and make sure that that doesn't happen, especially Wi-Fi signals, right? Because these kind of devices, they're going to use Wi-Fi, right? They're not going to really be able to use Bluetooth because Bluetooth doesn't really go that far uh, and probably wouldn't go through the building in that sense unless it was like on the top floor. So it, probably not super likely, um, but you you know, you know could theoretically put on the top floor uh, on the ceiling or in the drop ceiling or something, some kind of barrier to prevent that. But you know, as far as Wi-Fi signal, your access points, where does that signal go? What kind of antenna are you using? Are using omnidirectional, you know, um, all these things matter, right? And you want to control that signal because if you, so if you've ever studied for like the security plus uh, network, I think it's in the network plus two, but um, you know, they talk about antennas and the signal and how you can, you know, change that signal. You can lower the power, uh, change the channels, like all these kind of things. Right. And so that, you know, becomes a real thing. And so definitely a consideration that you have to have whenever you have wireless networks and basically every biz every business has wireless networks. So you should definitely, definitely take a look at this. So, but very interesting, you know, definitely a cool, cool thing, but something that could be catastrophic, right? If you don't have the right security in place and somebody can just pop a drone right on top of your building. <laughs> so. Uh, next article, Taiwan touts $900 million in new business uh, from Silicon Valley meetings. Taiwan's economy minister has dumped new business worth $30 billion, uh, $30 billion in Taiwan dollars, so $940 million uh, in meetings with top executives at four major tech firms in California, Sil Silicon Valley, ministry, minister, uh, ministry said on Saturday. Uh, Wang Mi. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but has been in the United States all week to respond to what her office has called concerns, and that's in quote if you're listening on the podcast, about supply chains and geopolitical issues. Taiwan is a major semiconductor producer, home to the world's largest contract chip maker, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corp, and supply... Uh, and supplies the world's most uh, world's major tech firms. The island's position as a producer has prompted worries in the United States is is too reliant on Taiwan, especially as China ramps up military drills to assert its sovereignty claims. So yeah, so any kind of business, right? You want to be careful about over reliance on a certain vendor, a certain locale, a certain you know country, right? Like you have to consider all these things because. For instance, if you're solely reliant on one provider, one supplier, what happens when that supplier, if they're in another country, if they you know, start running into supply issues, if they start getting regulations cracked down on them, and then that trickles down through the supply chain, you know, 
all that kind of stuff matters. And then kind of on the, um, you know, on the flip side, when you're a government, when you're a business, you have to, you know, kind of consider too where your source of funding is coming from, right? If your funding is coming from, you know, another country, another business who's maybe outside of your country, even a, an internal uh, uh, a business within your same company or country, you know, who owns them, right? For instance, take a look at something like TikTok, right? Where they are, they are owned by a company within China, right? Who we're pretty sure, you know, just based on the news and everything, that they, you know, they wanted to provide some information to the Chinese government. But, you know, when you have a business like that that owns other companies, you might not know about that parent company necessarily. And so, you know, it's just kind of a critical thinking kind of situation where, you know, these are things that you have to consider, right? You don't want to, you know, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where it's going to be very difficult if things start shifting and shifting very quickly, right? You want to be pretty agile, right? Again, in quotes, uh, but you want to be agile in your approach and be able to essentially, you know, have these building blocks so you can just take one out, put another one in, take one out, put another one in, right? And easily shift your business. You don't want to be too reliant on, you know, an individual company. So not a super in-depth article, but just kind of a critical thinking kind of situation, right? Uh, next article, Google rolling out passkey password list login support to Android and Chrome. Google on Wednesday last week officially rolled out support for passkeys, the next generation authentication standard to both Android and Chrome. Passkeys are a significantly safer replacement for passwords and other fishable authentication factors, the tech giant said. They cannot be reused, they don't leak in server breaches, and protect users from phishing attacks. Passkeys established in the FIDO Alliance and also backed by Apple and Microsoft aim to replace standard passwords with unique digital keys that are stored locally on the device. To that end, creating a pass key requires confirmation from the end user about the account that will be used to log in an online service, following by, uh, followed by using biometric information or their device passcode. Signing into a website on a mobile device is a simple two-step process that entails selecting the account and presenting their fingerprint, face, or screen lock when prompted. Yeah, so passwords in general are a very weak authentication measure. They just are right? Historically, you know, one of the most used authentication measures has been username and password, right? Something I know. I know the username, I know the password. And, you know, we've seen kind of an evolution of that because it started out, you know, a, pa a password, just having a password was secure, right? Now we started saying, well, longer passwords are more secure. Throw in a number, throw in a special character, right? Like all that stuff is password complexity 101. And that's because, you know, shorter, simpler passwords are easier to crack. The longer you get the password, the, um, the more complex you make it. So if you throw in uh, symbols, you throw in numbers, you know, spaces, whatever, uh, that just starts to make it more complex. It takes longer to crack. You know, one of the things that we're seeing is this whole idea of quantum computing, 
and using that or having the ability to crack passwords very quickly, right? So something that might have taken 10 years to crack now only takes, you know, I don't know, maybe an hour or something, right? Like quantum computing is significantly different. Uh, there, are, there is significantly more uh, power behind quantum computing, right? And then, then we kind of have this whole idea of multi-factor authentication. And that becomes where you have basically two factors of authentication. So, you know, a password and like a text, uh, text message code, right? So I enter my username, I enter my password, I get sent a text message uh, with a code in it, like a six digit code. And then I also have to enter that code in, right? That's kind of the evolution of this process. So with a lot of that stuff, you know, there's still this idea of you exchanging your password with the server, right? Like I have to send my password to the server. And so that still becomes an issue in that process. And so what we're seeing is uh, this idea of, well, maybe instead of exchanging the password, you know, sending the password over the wire, maybe I can have like a token or something and I can use that uh, this digital key, right? I can use that, exchange that, or in some way of the process, I can use that without having to send my password actually to the server. So, because, you know, one of the things is if you're on the, if you're on the network, if you're on the line, right? Like if you're an attacker and you're monitoring the traffic and you can capture that password in some way or, you know, kind of decrypt that whole information, then you can have the password and you know, it's still an issue, right? So that's kind of like the whole idea with this. And we've seen Apple, you know, starting to roll out over the last several years, their whole idea of uh, really trying to use the like facial recognition or uh, the face ID and, you know, kind of these other ways of doing it. And so that's kind of what the idea is here. So, you know, definitely kind of look into this if you, uh, if you use Google products, if you use you know, Android, Chrome, like all this kind of stuff, right? Like this is pretty important because this is going to be an evolution that's going to continue. You know, really we're trying to get away entirely from passwords, right? There isn't really, um, or there hasn't really been something that has just taken over everything, been able to roll out to everything, you know, but we're, we're trying to get there, right? That's the idea uh, because you know, passwords just got to go. They got to go, right? Like passwords show up on leaked databases and, you know, it's just this continuous problem of passwords being an ineffective security measure. So, uh, and with that being said, if you just have password authentication on your systems, on your servers, something like that, and you don't have an extra step in order to access data, you probably should look into that. Just saying, especially on your high-level accounts, because you know your domain uh, administrator accounts, uh, your root-level accounts. You know a lot of these accounts. You better not have just password authentication because you're going to fail an audit for sure. You're going to probably get breached if you haven't been already, and it's just a bad idea. You need to get away from just using a password at minimum, right? So. Whew. Uh, that's an important article, important discussion for anybody in this field, for sure. 
Uh, next article, Mex- Mexico probes whether Pegasus spyware purchases were legal. Mexican Attorney General's office said on Sunday it's investigating the purchase of Pegasus computer spyware by the previous administration and whether it was carried out legally. Here we go, Pegasus. Uh, in a statement, the office referred to existing probes of two people, including a prominent ex-official, into the use of Pegasus spyware days after the current government denied it had spied on journalists or critics. Pegasus belongs to Israeli spyware group, uh, spyware firm NSO Group, which typically only sells the software to governments or law enforcement organizations. In the statement, Mexican prosecutors said that they were looking at the acquisition of Pegasus by the prior attorney general's office for 457 million pesos or $23 million. They were trying to establish if it had been done with a proper jurisdiction and had followed requisite public tender procedures. So we've talked a lot about Pegasus on this channel, a lot about Pegasus. So basically it's just, it's spyware, right? Like you can install it and basically run it against, you know, um, this particular one. Uh, We talked about this article, I think it was phones. They were looking at uh, journalist phones, things like that. But anyways, the idea is it's, it's spyware. It comes out of uh, Israel. And, you know, there's a lot of concern with this kind of uh, software, right? Because it does give you a lot of power and ability to monitor communications and data, you know, within systems, right? And, um, yeah, it... It's interesting because there was an article a couple months ago, I think it was, where L3 Harris, which is a defense contractor here in the United States, they were trying to actually buy, uh, buy Pegasus. I don't know if you remember that article. If you don't, go back and look. It was a couple months ago. But, um, or just you know, go on Google and look for some of those articles. But you know, the whole idea with trying to buy that software was... You know, you're trying to buy it from a foreign country, right? Because the United States and then uh, Israel. And then getting some software like that, you know, there's probably some backdoors or some, you know, some bells and whistles that you might not be familiar with or get to use because they're really meant for somebody outside or, you know, whoever created it to get into the software so they can see what you're seeing, right? We're all friends. We're going to (laughs) share. But, um, you know, just the whole idea of buying Pegasus, any, um, you know, citizens of a country or people concerned with their privacy, when you see Pegasus start coming up, you know, that's an issue. And specifically with this, these reporters and journalists uh, or critics, they were critical of the, uh, the, the government, right? So they were, they were writing unfavorable things, <laughs> you know, and then they get spied on, right? So in a country like in a country like the United States, if that happens, right, like we, we have this whole idea of we're free to kind of speak our minds and, you know, say basically what we want, right? Um, and so the idea, especially of like journalists, right, where we have free, uh, free press, free speech, you know, journalists being able to write what they want, but then on the backside getting spied on, you know, that would be a serious issue. That in general, when that comes up, that's a big deal because it basically shouldn't be happening, you know, assuming everything is on the up and up, right? But, um, you know, so in a country like the United States, there would be just even more uproar, right? But, you know, even in Mexico or 
other countries, you know, that kind of idea, right. In in an established country, that's not like a, like a China or something like that, where there's severe censorship, you know, it just, it becomes, you know, a huge concern and really a focus, um, or it should be a focus of trying to eliminate that idea. You know, there are certainly countries that will try to do things like this or successfully do things like this where they're spying on people because they're corrupt. And, you know, that's obviously a serious issue. I'm not going to go into specific countries, right, as far as like who's doing that. But, you know, that's obviously an issue. And the uh, NSO group being able to have this software and sell it to certain countries and things like that, hopefully, you know, maybe they're doing their due diligence. But, um, you know, ideally, maybe the software just doesn't exist in general. You know, we'll see. <laughs> so. Yeah, in the chat, we have a comment that says, if I'd get a dollar for every NSO article, I'd have a lot. That's true. There are always articles about NSO group and Pegasus. You know, because it just like, it doesn't go away. It literally doesn't go away. It is in the news all the time. If it's not in the news next week, it might be in the news the next week, right? There will be some new scandal around NSO group and Pegasus. Almost guaranteed. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next article, Gen Z and millennials less serious about cybersecurity on work-issued devices than personal, according to new EY consulting survey. A majority, 83% of U.S. employees, understand their employer's cybersecurity protocols, but Gen Z and millennial workers, digital natives who make up a significant portion of the workforce, are least likely to prioritize or adhere to them, according to new data released by Ernst & Young LLP, which is a major consulting firm. Three quarters, 76% of workers across generations consider themselves knowledgeable about cybersecurity, but younger generations who grew up online have lived and have lived with cyber risk for the majority of their lives are significantly more likely to dis- uh, disregard mandatory IT updates for as long as possible. 58% for Gen Z and 42% for millennials versus 31% for Gen X and 15% for baby boomers. Younger generations are more likely to use the same password for professional account and personal account, 30% for Gen Z and 31% for millennials versus 22% for Gen X and 15% for baby boomers. Finally, younger generations are more likely to accept web browser cookies on their work-issued devices all the time or often, 48% for Gen Z, 43% for millennials, 31% for Gen X, and 18% for baby boomers. So we see a trend here, right? We see younger the younger you are, the more aggressive or... Um, the more willing you are to accept, you know, some of the things that are happening versus the older you are, right? The baby baby boomers, because that's on the opposite trend, uh, opposite end of the spectrum, the more conservative you are, right? You're going to be, if you're younger, you're going to push off updates. You're not going, uh, you're going to reuse passwords. You're going to accept web browser cookies. If you're on the older side, you're going to hit update. You're going to hit update all the time. You're going to search for updates. You don't care. <laughs> you're going to update it. Uh, you're, not, you're going to be less likely to reuse your password. And then uh, you'll also 
be less likely to accept cookies. You know, that is definitely kind of a trend that we see in general, right? Because so as a millennial, right? Um, so I, I fall into that millennial category. Uh, you know, even we were not, um, I guess, depending on which part of the millennial, uh, the scale that you're on, because it goes, you know, past me, but you know, I know that computers, you know, in my life have not necessarily always been there. Right. And the internet has not always been there. Right. And, uh, so, you know, past me, right. In the, the kind of the, um, the later year millennials, right. So the, I don't know exactly what millennials go to probably sometime in the nineties, I think it is, but you know, so some of those people, um, the, the gen, what's the next one? Gen Z. Those are the people that have always had the computers, always had the internet, right? They've always had it. And so you see this kind of shift where, you know, it's like, I've always had this. I'm just, I, I want to accept the cookies. I want to, you know, have the full experiences that people are trying to provide to me. Um, I'm less, you know, I'm less concerned about it. My personal security, I, I know that I can, you know, do make the secure decision. You know, that seems to be much more prevalent in these younger generations versus the older generations are not as, um, you know, they're just not as (laughs) willing to kind of accept that you're doing what's in their best interest. And, you know, I think that's definitely a concern, right? Because we're starting to see a lot more of Gen Zers and, um, you know, obviously the millennial generation is pretty much all working at this point or all in the workforce. But, you know, we're starting to see more people that we have to really be concerned with, right? We have to um, understand that they're less likely to do some real secure things, right? And I think it's an overconfidence issue for sure. Um, that that's what I've seen a lot because, you know, it's like, well, I've been around, I've been around tech for my whole life, so I know the best procedures to secure things. That's kind of the mentality, and that's just not true, right? Like, I think the the issues that those people face are like magnitude, and they're probably even worse because they're not as skeptical, right? They're kind of just like, no, like, I know, I know. Versus the older generation, they're much more skeptical. They're much more, um, you know, I don't know. And so I think that, you know, when you look at your training awareness programs, you have to, you know, you have to understand that, right? And we see these kind of trends with other, um, other things regarding the different generations right? Like there's other issues between different generations. But, um, you know, when you're looking at your training awareness program, the technologies that you implement, the way you structure your security in your organization, you know, you should consider this kind of thing because it does matter. You don't want to, um, you know, you don't want to have that kind of mindset, right? Where you're not skeptical, like, yeah, like this is a person in their twenties, they're definitely going to be you know, really secure in their decisions. So pretty interesting survey, you know. Um, and then there's a, another article that kind of follows along with this. It says CISOs needs, uh, needs to adapt cybersecurity guidance for millennials and Gen Z. 
So it gives some recommendations, right? So it says use carrots, not sticks. Positive human-centric security culture rewards cyber-safe practices and uses mistakes as teaching moments, right? So let that sink in a little bit. Um, try to teach them, right? And reward them, a lot of cases probably. Um, provide personalized cybersecurity education. Teach them, safety, uh, teach them safe cybersecurity practices for their personal lives and their families. Teach the role-based risks and the consequences and then give them simple, immediate, uh, immediately actionable guidance, right? So help them, guide them. Uh, tell them that they should be a little bit more skeptical. <laughs> uh, understand and interrupt human behaviors. Understand employees' workflows. Identify the moments of human uh, highest human risk and create inter interruption points or behavior prompts. The goal of the behavior prompt or technical control uh, interruption is to focus on an individual's actions to follow the proper procedure to minimize risk. So, you know, again, getting people on board with security, security awareness training, it definitely, um, you know, it takes some skill to really get across people because people like to tune out from training. It's just how it is. Uh, but, you know, these are definitely some good recommendations as far as training and how you can, you know, help to really secure your organization and get everybody on the same page as far as training. So let's see here. All right. Open Compute Project announces Calyptra, a new standard for trust in hardware. Key members of the Open Compute Project have come together to create a new open specification for the silicon root of trust called Calyptra that's designed to meet the enhanced security requirements of modern edge and confidential computing use cases. Announced today, so earlier this week, at the OCP Global Summit in San Jose, California, Calyptra is said to define a reusable drop-in silicon code block for root of trust measurement that can be integrated into any modern application-specific integrated circuit or system on chip, including new central processing units, graphic processing units, solid-state drives, and network interface controllers. The main purpose of Calyptra is to provide verifiable cryptographic assurances of an ASIC, of ASICs or SOC security configurations uh, with an in-chip mechanism for ensuring boot code is trusted. The root uh, cryptographically guarantees an SOC security configuration and workload protection measurements, ensuring that, on that only trusted firmware can be executed on the chipset. So if you're not familiar with what zero trust is uh, and you know trust in general, one of the issues that we have you know, in our computing environments is that there's a lot of trust that's built in, right? Whether that's networks, whether that's computers. Um, so for instance, let's take networks, right? With zero trust. So the idea previously was that we would spend a lot of time and resources on our perimeter, on our boundary for our network. So we put firewalls in there. We put, you know, all kinds of controls in there to really help try to secure, um, you know, to secure that perimeter and keep people out. Well, one of the issues is that, um, one of the issues with that is that, you know, hackers are still getting in, right? <laughs> like, we're not keeping them out. And so, um, but with that previous model, once you got into the network, everything was kind of trusted. So as attackers are getting in there, they're getting into an environment where it's considered like trusted, and that's in quotes if you're listening on podcast, but, you know, so everything is trusted, and you can just interact at will, right? No big deal. 
Well, the model that we're shifting for networks is that, you know, the perimeter, the outside is just one barrier. Once you get in, everything is not necessarily trusted. There has to be verification of every kind of action and, and thing that happens within the network, right? There are more boundaries. Um, you know, with hardware, same idea, right? Like you have a computer and well, we're in the case, I have physical access, I'm gonna plug in a USB drive, I'm gonna change that hard drive, I'm gonna change my graphics card, whatever, right? Like I'm gonna change parts. And so, you know, we're starting to see now uh, this shift to more secure and less trust or zero trust uh, kind of hardware, right? We're starting to see things like TPM chips, which are, um, they're used for uh, encrypting, you know, your system. So like for instance, with Windows 11, right? Windows 11 requires a, uh, a TPM, a, a security module on your motherboard to encrypt the, the system. And so those kind of uh, chips, they, you know, they look at the hardware that's installed when the system, you know, is originally decrypted and they take note of that. So then when the system is not powered up, right, if you start trying to change parts and then you try to boot it up all of a sudden, you know, that's going to cause issues. It's probably not going to boot, right? That's, that's the idea. And that's kind of the shift that we're seeing, which is good because, you know, physical security is important too. Uh, if you have access to a system and there's no physical security on the system itself, right, it's just within the operating system. Well, then I could just start changing parts and, you know, we're good to go. So um, that's kind of a shift that we're seeing with a lot of these chipsets and systems. And it's, you know, that whole idea of zero trust, the evolution of that, or just trust in general is pretty interesting. And if you're looking for a, kind of an emerging area to like research or get to know about, you know, I would say that is definitely one, obviously like uh, blockchain, you know, would be another one because those two areas are kind of, really at the forefront, um, they, they are definitely emerging areas that, you know, in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, are probably going to be way evolved compared to where they are now. So I would definitely check those out if you're interested. But with that being said, that's going to be the last article for today. Again, I'm your host, John Good. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for October 16th, 2022 through October 22nd. 2022. If you're watching on YouTube, or if you were watching on YouTube, because we did this, uh, we did this live. Want to uh, say I appreciate you and thank you. Also, just in general, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to leave a like, comment, and subscribe. If you think of anything that you want to see, any kind of content on the channel, anything like that, definitely leave me a comment. I look at all the comments. I try to respond to all the comments, and uh, I try to make the show and the videos better. That's why I, I uh, you know, like when you give me uh, feedback. If you're listening on podcasting platforms, because we are available on podcasting platforms, make sure to do the same thing. Subscribe, leave a review, let us know how you enjoy the show. Uh, also check out the description because there will be a link to the show notes, which is on my website. So again, if you want to see the articles, you want to learn a little bit more about what's in the articles, because of course we don't cover everything in the articles. We also don't cover all the articles. There's other articles that I have on there as well that uh, would be good, uh, good reading. But uh, with that being said, 
If you're joining me live, I want to thank you for joining me, spending some time on your Saturday with me. And until next time, I'll see you later.